Incredible. Before I get to the text, I just want to say thank you to Robert and Jack and uh, the choir and the brass. Come on. Thank you so much for this morning. Thank you. What a gift. Well, our New Testament reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 22, verses 15 through 22. Uh, Jesus is in Jerusalem at the end of his life. Uh, He's between Palm Sunday and Good Friday, and he is having a lot of conversations with various people uh, while he is there. These conversations reveal Jesus to be focused. Uh, Jesus is clear-eyed in these conversations, maybe even in these confrontations. He's clear-eyed about his mission, which was and still is uh, extending the kingdom of God. And today, as we uh, begin this new season in the life of this church together, um, whether you are anxious or excited, or a mixture of both of those things. Uh, I think that it's important for us to ground us in something that never changes, which is uh, this invitation, this invitation that Jesus has always extended uh, to be part of that kingdom uh, here and now. So with that in mind, I invite you to listen uh, for the word of the Lord from Matthew. Then the Pharisees went out and plotted to entrap him in what he said. So they sent their disciples to him, along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are sincere, and teach the way of God in accordance with the truth, and show deference to no one, for you do not regard people with partiality. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why are you putting me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. Then he said to them, whose head is this and whose title? And they answered, Caesar's. Then he said to them, give therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God's the things that are God's. When they heard this, they were amazed. And they left him and went away. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and may the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I should clarify this morning that I am a lectionary preacher and that this was the text that I received, okay? It was not my intention to talk about taxes my first Sunday here among you, but that is the joy of the lectionary. Years ago, I was on a flight home to Princeton, New Jersey, after being in Austin, Texas, to meet with the good folks of Covenant Presbyterian Church about the possibility of joining uh, their staff. And after taking my seat on the airplane, uh, the woman next to me struck up a conversation. Now, there are two kinds of people in the world. People who want to talk to strangers on airplanes and normal people. She asked me why I was traveling, and I told her that I was in town for a possible job. I mean, in these conversations, you want to be as vague as possible. When she asked me what I did, which I was hoping to avoid at all costs, I told her that I was hoping to become a Presbyterian minister, to which she quickly replied, are you the right kind of Presbyterian? And I immediately had the sinking feeling that I was probably the wrong kind. It turns out I was. Thank God that I had a pair of headphones and a break to put them in. 
Why do I tell you this story? Well, it's a simple example. It's a simple story uh, about a question that isn't really a question after all. It's a non-question. There is no answer to that question that would have felt good to me or to her. And you and I deal with non-questions like these all the time. And sometimes what sounds like a question is really just a test. And sometimes it's subtle, right? Like where are you from? Or what school did you go to? Sometimes it's a bit more overt, like who are you voting for? Sometimes non-questions are not tests at all, but accusations of one kind or another. Uh, What is the matter with you? That's not really a question. That's an accusation. (laughs) And the same goes for how could you, right? Not a question. My wife and I have been unpacking boxes uh, for the the past few weeks, uh, adjusting to kind of where things go in the new house. And on occasion, I have asked a question when looking for something in the kitchen that falls into this category. For example, when I asked her the other morning, where are the coffee beans? What I meant and what she actually heard was, what did you do with the coffee beans? (laughs) If I'm being honest, it was an accusation. It wasn't a sincere question. Now, in the case of today's reading, the non-question posed by the Pharisees isn't so much a question at all. It isn't really an accusation either, as much as it's a trap. The Pharisees have already made up their mind what they think, what they believe about Jesus. They aren't curious. They aren't sincere. They want to trap him. And they want to trap him endorsing some form of law-breaking. The text tells us that the Pharisees and the Herodians uh, went together to question Jesus. So I think it's important to know kind of who they are. The Pharisees and the Herodians were the political parties of their day. The Herodians were the party that supported the current administration. They, uh, they thought Rome was good for Israel. Rome had, after all, brought roads. They brought clean water, sanitation. Uh, and though, you know, with quite a show of force, they also had brought stability uh, to the nation. The last thing that the Herodians wanted was a revolution. And so if Jesus even hints at revolution against Caesar, they're going to march right off to Pilate, and they're going to turn him in. On the other hand, the Pharisees were the party that despised the current administration. By the way, as much things change, things stay the same. The Pharisees were something of a resistant movement. They uh, were the Bible-believing observers of God's commandments. They believed that a coin with Caesar's image on it, with the inscription, Son of God, was just another example of how the current administration forced people to compromise on their convictions. They wanted change. They wanted a revolution. And if Jesus isn't going to bring the revolution, then he must not be all that serious about this whole kingdom of God thing that he keeps talking about. So it's a trap. If Jesus says, no, it is not lawful to pay taxes to Caesar, it will very likely mean his very imminent death. But if he says yes, it will mean the death of his movement. So they say, in effect, tell us, Jesus, which is it going to be? What party do you belong to? It's time to pick sides. Which side are you on? And they think that they've got him. It's the perfect setup. It's the ultimate gotcha. But Jesus, Jesus was a unique and slippery character, wasn't he? He wasn't easily duped. He wasn't easily trapped. When questioned, he often told stories or asked questions in response rather than give clear answers. 
On occasion, he warns his followers not to tell anybody who he is. And he always somehow manages to avoid being wrapped up in the culture wars of his day. And this irritates and confuses and baffles everyone, including his own disciples at times. So in response, Jesus does what he always does. He stays on brand. He asks for a coin. And they have it. They have it on them, which is a very small detail, but it reveals something significant, which is however offended they are by the image of Caesar on this coin, they still use it. They still use it to pay for goods and for services. And if they use it to live and to get by and to enjoy being a part of the Roman Empire, Jesus tells them it shouldn't be that big of a deal for them to pay taxes to. And so that's what he means when he sort of shrugs and says, give to Caesar, what's Caesar's? But give to God, what's God's? That's a brilliant, brilliant response. It's equally satisfying and dissatisfying to both parties. On the one hand, he avoids death in the short term. Very good. But he also proves to the Pharisees that he means what he says about the kingdom of God. He puts Caesar in his place. So what? So what if Caesar's face is on that coin? It belongs to him. Give it to him. But remember, that's all you owe him. But if you owe Caesar that which bears his image, then you owe to God that which bears his image, which is everything, your whole life. So I want to say a couple of things about this story. First, I think that this story reveals our tendency, reveals their tendency then and our tendency now to either use Jesus or listen to him. It's usually one of those two things. We either use Jesus or we listen to him. The Pharisees wanted to use Jesus in their culture war against the Herodians, and vice versa if given the chance for the Herodians. They wanted him to choose a side. They wanted to use him to confirm everything that they already believed, everything they already knew. And that's how you know that you're using Jesus and not listening to him. If you're just going for confirmation of everything that you already believe. At Covenant, we used to often say, do you want to be right or do you want to grow? And usually those things are in conflict. Do you want to be right or do you want to grow? But second, and most importantly, if they would have listened to him, they would have heard him saying that they were asking the wrong question. The question they asked is an example of, I think, that deep human desire that each and every one of us has to know what the rules are. We want to know what the rules are, sometimes to follow them, sometimes to break them. But this question always leads us to a low view of God. Should we pay the tax or not? Portrays God as transactional, as, as a being who is ultimately only interested in grading our performance. And if we view God this way, then of course, of course, the only question that is going to preoccupy us is what are we allowed to do and what are we not allowed to do to keep God happy? Jesus says, that is the wrong question. The question that you should be asking, the question that is worth asking, is what does it mean to give God my whole life? What does it mean to give God my whole life? And I'm going to let you answer that question for yourself. What does that look like in your life? What does it look like in your relationships? What does it look like 
in this church? What does it look like in your neighborhood? What does it look like in your family? What does it look like with your vocation, the gifts that God has given to you? What does it look like for you to give God your entire life, your whole self? But the point I want to make this morning is that asking this question actually leads us to a very high view of God. And asking this question is the only way that we arrive at anything close to grace. Because the truth is, is that this is a really hard thing to do. It's a really hard thing to do. You may find that despite your best intentions and resolve today here in this service, that tomorrow you end up mostly thinking again about yourself. You may end up back in your worries, your anxieties, your resentments, your judgments. You may be again aware of any slight against you. Or you may look to things other than God for security, worth, your success maybe, or your achievement, or maybe your family, or at least your partially good behavior. In other words, you may have a really hard time giving to God everything. And if you find this to be true, remember when Jesus spoke these words. Remember what he was about to do. If you have a hard time giving your whole self to God, remember there was a guy once who was able to do it. For you and for me, he was able to give his entire self to God. And he does for us what we often find impossible to do for ourselves. That is what the theologians call grace. And the best thing about grace is that it doesn't pick sides. It doesn't belong to one party or the other. It's not just for the Pharisees. It's not just for the Herodians. It's for everyone. It's for you, and it's for me, and it's free and available whenever we want it. Matthew tells us that they left amazed. It's an incredible conclusion to the story, given how they began, how they approached Jesus in bad faith, hoping to trap him. They leave amazed. You really have to wonder, amazed at what exactly? Amazed at how spectacularly their plan failed? Maybe they were amazed and perhaps revealed, relieved to find someone asking better questions. It's easy for us to be harsh on the Pharisees, but we often settle for the wrong questions too. We want to know the rules. We ask Jesus to pick sides. It is tempting to want to use Jesus for our own causes. I wonder what we would hear Jesus say if we stopped using him and listened to him instead. We might, like the Pharisees, get a better question and maybe even grace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.